I have the great privilege of speaking to you guys this morning. Um, the title of this sermon is called Squad Goals. If you don't know what that means, it's basically a great group of people um, for millennials and Gen Z. I think it's Gen Z is under me. That's what we would call squad goals. Um, so, good morning. If you're new to Camelback or if you're new to Christianity at all, this is the Bible. It's the book that we kind of teach from. It's the book that we believe in, and it's what we believe is the written word of God, and we believe it's just full of knowledge and just amazing things, and so I love it whenever I get to kind of speak from it and share my thoughts and share what's kind of weighing on the heart at Camelback. And the heart of squad goals is just people need people. I could just leave it there, walk off the stage, and that would probably be enough. Um, but I want to kind of tell you guys a story. We were at our church offices kind of talking about some plans that we had for 2019, um, a vision kind of that we had for where the church was going to go, um, and just kind of the culture that we wanted to create, the culture that we wanted to be the driving force in 2019. And uh, just kind of what the shows that we grew up watching kind of came up. And in our household, um, either the news was on or Friends was on. Um, and it was, there was nothing else. On Saturdays, I got cartoons, but other than that, it was house, or it was, uh, the news or Friends. And I realized something that in Friends, all it is is just a group of people that meet at a coffee shop or an apartment. But the whole show is just, that's it. It's a group of friends that are always at a coffee shop or an apartment. And then I thought about the show How I Met Your Mother, which was my generation's versions of Friends, and it was just it was the same thing, a group of friends that met in an apartment or a bar. That's all it was. And my dad brought up a show called Cheers, which is a little bit before my time, but it was the same thing. It was a big group of friends that met at a bar. And then I got to thinking, I said, isn't that all a church is? It's a group of family. It's a group of friends. It's a group of people who meet under or in a building or at a small group or at a coffee shop. Church is where two or three or, or more are gathered in God's name. So isn't that all we are? And I thought it's kind of interesting how Hollywood, which is so often against the church, against Christianity, gave us the perfect recipe for how to do what we do. It gave us the perfect recipe for church. That's just people that love each other, that enjoy being around each other, gathered in the same place. And I thought that was amazing. Um, and I love looking at parallels, and I love getting into film industry or film kind of specifics. Um, and so I thought it was really cool how Hollywood gave us that example. And then the other thing is that a story arch, a storyline, kind of follows the same thing, is that a character will do something, they'll try it alone, they'll fail, they'll find a group of people or a mentor, and then succeed. I want to look at that because it comes down to the point that, in, that people, they don't do great things when they try them alone. Nobody who's had great success, nobody that's just knocked it out of the park has done it alone. When you look at that film storyline, the character goes, they try, they fail, then they have a team that comes around them and they succeed. 
Let's look at sports for a second. Michael Jordan, arguably the best or one of the best basketball players to ever touch the court in the NBA. Early on in his career, he was incredible. Nobody could deny that. He scored more points than anybody else. He was just the best. But the Bulls were still losing. It wasn't until Michael Jordan thought about, what if I play as a team player? What if I score less points, but I enable my team to score more? That's when the Bulls started winning. That's when they won championships. That's when they did really well. Derek Jeter's another example. He's arguably one of the best players to ever play in the Major League Baseball League. A shortstop can't win a baseball game. It's that simple. You need a team around you. Or even Larry Fitzgerald, our hometown hero, he can't win a football game alone. A wide receiver can't do anything except for run and catch a pass. Larry threw a touchdown pass last week, but we'll ignore that. You need a quarterback to throw the ball. You need an offensive line to set up a block early on so you can make a breakthrough it. All of these people, they realize that they need a team to do what they do and to do it well. Romans talks about this a little bit. It says, in this way, we are like the various parts of a human body, each part getting its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. So each part, each person that's in the church, we find our meaning from the church as a whole, not from what we think we need to do. Not from what we think is the right, but from what the church as a whole, what we're gathering from that, what we're learning from that. The body that we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body, but as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned to all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. God's just telling us to be ourselves and to be who we were created to be and to be that way in a group of people that love us, that care about us, and that want the best for us. You see, if life is a race, it's not a sprint or a marathon. It's a relay. Everybody that runs a section in a relay is one of the fastest people on earth. They run a 100-meter dash faster than the people that actually run it normally. But they're only able to maintain that speed for a short amount of time. When you put them together, though, they're able to run a long distance. I heard from a great pastor, he said this. He said, if you want to go fast, you'll go alone. But if you want to go far, you'll go together. Doing things by yourself is easy. That's not an issue. I have that problem all the time where we need to train more people to be on stage or train more people to be in the sound booth. But I just think, well, it's just, it's easier if I do it myself. I don't have the time to train somebody. I don't have the time to pour into it. But the problem is we're not going to go far if that's my mentality. When you work in a team, you're able to carry each other's burdens. You're able to do well together. And then you'll go farther than you ever thought you would before. The fact is you just can't win without a team. When I look at Galatians, it's saying the same thing. It's saying to share each other's troubles and problems and so obey our Lord's commands. Share the burden with your teammates. Don't try to handle it alone. 
because you're going to get crushed. You can't handle the responsibility. You can't handle the weight of everything if you're trying to do it yourself. That's why all of what we do in life, we do it with people. Marriage, you can't do marriage alone. You have a partner. You can't do your job alone. Chances are you work in a department that works together. A CEO can run a company, but they can't be in charge of everything. That's why they have a CFO to handle the finances. They have a chief operations officer, a COO, to handle the operations side of things. If it was just up to a CEO, the company would fail. When you share each other's burdens, you're, oper you're operating as a team. That's the basic principle of what a team does for each other. And I kind of want to break on that. Because as a church, we are a team. We're a body of people that love about each other, or love each other and care about each other. And as we're going into this new year, we want to challenge that. We want to challenge you guys. We want to make you think about why you love each other. We want to make you think about why you're doing what you're doing because we know why we're doing this. We're doing this to not just stay normal, not stay in a status quo. We're here to change lives. We're here to build up a generation and send them out because there's constantly a new generation coming in. There's constantly a new face of the church. You know, four years ago, five years ago, when I was still in high school, that was me. Now it's these guys. Now it's our youth group. Everybody in high school is getting built up and sent out to do amazing things. And so when we go into next week in Vision Sunday, we want to challenge you. It's not necessarily going to be the most comfortable Sunday because you might have to really think about what you're doing in your life. But there's hope in that because as you think about that, you can build up and you can commit to changing lives. You can commit to the process that is Christianity. That You can commit to the process at Camelback. You can get into our journey classes. You can get involved in serving. You can get into a life group. And once you start that process, you're just going to keep on going and going. And if you get into a team, you're going to do exactly what God asks you to do. You see, in life, people have a habit of being transient. Um, with the exception of the group of people still in high school, how many of you guys are still really good friends with your high school friends? That's a lot, actually. You kind of, you should have kept your hands down. I'm trying to prove a point here. I know for me, I'm not friends with that many people that I went to high school with. Um, you know, as life has gone on and people have moved, We've just kind of grown apart. And the same thing goes for college. I just, you know, life happens. Um, I went to college out of state and then out of country. And so when I came back, they were just, my friends were gone. They weren't around. And that kind of naturally happens. And to a point, that's okay. But we weren't built to do life alone. We weren't built to be transient people. What we were built for is building community. And so when you look at your life, you don't want to just look at it like, oh, i got to focus on me. Because that's what the world tells us. The world tells us two things, and they're completely contradictory to each other. Because when you look at friends, 
it's telling you you want a group. But when you look at everything else, it's telling you to look out for number one. Look out for yourself. If there's a, an opportunity to move up in your company, but it means leaving your friends behind, take it because you've got to worry about you. But what if God was setting you up? What if God was giving you those friendships, those community, for you to pass up that opportunity so you can take a bigger one later on and still have your group of people? God doesn't want us to do great things by leaving people behind. He wants us to do great things with people. We're not expendable. People aren't expendable, so don't treat them that way. You need to have a mind, you need to have a thought process shift. It's not about me. It's about them. When I was a kid, we went to um, a summer camp, and every year when we left, they would give us this card, and it said, I'm third. That's all it was. Two words, I'm third. And it was just to remind us that we put God first, others second, and ourselves third. To put everybody's needs before our own, because that's what God asked us to do. You know, if you want people to be for you, if you want people to value you, then you have to put value in them and put them before yourself. If you want people to be for you, then you have to be for them. James talks about this a little bit. James 3.17 says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, is characterized, or begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable. It's overflowing with mercy and blessings. It's not hot one day and cold the next. It's not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God. Let's go back to the slide before. I don't think any of this looks hard. I don't think that getting along with others is hard. I don't think that being gentle and reasonable the definition of being reasonable is having reason. That's something that's easy to do. Not being two-faced. That's not hard to do. That's just being real. So if we have all these things, if we just build a community and then do these things, which are really simple, then it says we can develop a healthy and robust community that lives right with God. If we do a bunch of easy things, we get an amazing thing. If somebody told you that all you had to do to get $1,000 was get in a car and drive from Dysart to Litchfield, wouldn't you do that? That's how, easy this is. That's how easy this is. And that makes me excited. Because if all I have to do is be a good, reasonable, not two-faced person that just lives life normally and loves God and then I get a group of people that I love and that love me, I'm going to do that, no problem. Hands down, I'll race anybody to that goal because that's what I want for my life. The greatest commandment that Jesus gave us was to love God with all of our heart and then to do the same thing to other people. So if we're just loving people, if we're doing simply what Jesus said was the most important thing, then we're going to do amazing things with those people. And I kind of want to talk about life groups for a second. I actually want to talk about my life group for a second. We, I've been a part of that life group for 
two and a half, three years, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's where I've found my community, my group of people that I love and that love me no matter what. We've been there through every relationship, breakup, engagement, marriage, childbirth, moving houses. We've been there in each other's lives through everything. And now we're forged through fire. We are a group of people that you can't separate no matter how hard you try because we are family. In fact, when people move, we have a couple in our life group, um, and they were moving. And the husband, uh, his name's Adrian. He helps out in our high school and children's groups. Uh, he thought he could move their whole house in like one day. Um, any of you that have moved, you know that's physically impossible. But, you know, he's a big, strong dude. He still couldn't do it. So a group of us showed up at his house with a U-Haul truck and said, hey, we're here to help. Don't try to do this alone. With all of us together, it took us a day and a half, but we got them moved. Without us, without that team there, it never would have happened. He would have been moving for a week. I'll talk about another couple. Uh, there's a couple in our life group that I've known for probably nine years. And they are probably the closest people in my life, with the exception of my actual family. One day a few years ago, they kind of decided, you know what, let's start going to church. We'll give this a shot. We'll see what it's like. And Camelback, because they knew us, was kind of an easy choice for them. And they got plugged in, and they enjoyed it, and they started loving it, and it was amazing. And so then, then the next step was, all right, let's, let's try a life group. But they don't have a lot of time. And so they had to struggle with the thought of, if we don't have a lot of time to begin with, why are we going to give up more time to go to some people's house that we don't really know that well and spend time with them when we could just be spending it together and growing our relationship? Well, they took that first big step. They got plugged into a life group, and now they are so committed. On the days where it's just a few of us together, they're always there. And that's because they realized the value of a life group. I can't explain how much these groups mean to me at how much they can mean to you. Even our high school groups, they meet on Wednesdays and they'll go through a sermon and then they'll break up into their life groups. We recognize the value of growing together as a group of people. In fact, the growth doesn't happen in rows. You're in rows right now to hear an inspiring talk from somebody so that you can go and take it into your week. And that's good, but the growth that actually happens is in a group, is in your life group, it's in your group of friends. Even if you're just texting each other after Sunday, like, hey, like, this was cool. What did you think about this? That's where growth happens, because this is all surface level. It gets deep in a group. And if you look for biblical proof of life groups, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. Jesus and his 12 disciples were, in fact, a life group. They did life together. That's the definition of it. They had a team. 
that they did amazing things with. Not only did they do amazing things while Jesus was alive, because Jesus changed history, but they did even more after he passed, after he went to heaven. And he told them that he was going to do this. He said, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. And God has great things for you, so why wouldn't you get into a group to be able to do those amazing things? Let's look at David and Jonathan. In the Old Testament, David was the new king of Israel. But before that, he had to grow in relationship with Saul, the current king, and Jonathan, Saul's son. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel, but he recognized God's hand on David's life. So he said, you know what? I don't want to be king if you are supposed to be king. So David and Jonathan grew together like brothers. And as David kind of grew up and became more of a leader, Saul got jealous and began to just try to figure out different ways to get David out of the way. And David went to Jonathan like, yo, your dad's trying to kill me. Why? It's not cool. I don't like that he's doing this, and he shouldn't be. And Jonathan said, no way. There's no way that my dad is trying to kill you. That's crazy. You're insane. But I will find out if you're telling the truth because I trust you that much. Long story short, Saul was trying to kill David, and Jonathan helped him escape. Jonathan chose his brotherly bond with David that had God's hand on it over his father because his father was in the wrong. That's how deep their brothership, that's how deep their friendship ran. And Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in a time of need. And you can substitute sister for that. You can, it goes either way, but what it's saying is that Friends are always going to be loyal. And you can have a lot of friends, but your brothers, your sisters, your group, those are the ones that are there to help in a time of need. So what you need to ask yourself is you need to ask yourself, who is with you? Who do you have in your corner? Who is your group of people? And then you need to ask yourself, who are you with? Whose corner are you in? Because you can have amazing people around you. But if the only people whose corner you're in are people that are just toxic, then it's going to kind of cancel each other out. But at the same time, if you're a Christian and your only friends are Christians, that's a problem. You're missing a big part of your life. Because the great commandment was to love others. But the great commission is to make disciples. So you can love everyone, but they don't have to be your friend. That's easy. You just treat people with respect. You're good. No problem. But if none of your friends are questioning faith, if none of your friends think, oh, I don't need God, then who are you helping? Whose life are you actually pouring into? Uh, there's a pastor in L.A., his name is uh, Ben, and I was hearing him talk about um, just kind of how they do church at their church, how things kind of run, and just his personal life in terms of, you know, his friends, his community, who he talks to, and he said something interesting. He said, 
he always has 10 people's phone numbers in his phone that don't go to church. Because every weekend he's texting them, hey, I'd love to see you in church. Hey, check out this thing that we're going to do in church this week. Hey, I got a seat saved for you. And the second that one of them says, yes, I'm going to come to church, that name goes out of the list and another name goes in. So he says he has 10 people, but he has like 20 because he's got people ready to come in after others leave. I've never met a single pastor that was that committed to bringing in people that are outsiders. I've never met a single pastor that was so committed to loving the unchurched that every week he was texting at least 10 people to come join him. I want to challenge you guys. You don't have to do that. You don't have to have 10 people on your list that you're asking every week to come to church because, well, that might get old for you. That might get annoying for them. But what I am saying is get people that you are in their corner that aren't Christians but also get people that are, you're in their corner that are going to pour into your life. Have a great pr- group of people around you so you can be in a great group of people. Get into a small group because they're going to pour into your lives. Have some people that you text throughout the week that are saying, hey, I'm praying for you, and actually mean it. Don't just say you're praying for them because I've done that. I'm sure all of you guys have done that mean it when you say those things because you love those people that much. So you're not just going to text, oh, I'm praying, and then say, oh, I'll do that later. When you text the people that you love, you mean it. And Proverbs 27 kind of talks about this. It says that as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's what I mean when I say get people in your corner that are going to pour into you. They're just going to make you sharper. They're going to make you better. And isn't that what we all want? We just want to be better. None of us are aspiring to be the holiest person on earth. We just want to be better. And that's all God wants for us. So to kind of start to close, like, there's only a few points. You just want to find your squad. Find your group of people. Find your life group. Find your friends. Once you find them, be with them. Have community. Gather together. Hang out. Have fun. Have some real talk. Then you want to be for them. Know that you believe in your friendship. Know that they can believe in you. Because nothing in your life, nothing on earth, is more important than finding your squad. Nothing is more important than finding the group of people that you can do life with. Because if you try to do life alone, you're going to fall short. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be discouraged. When you do life together, you're encouraged. You're empowered. And you're loved. Let's pray. God, thank you for Camelback. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for this squad. that any number of us would do anything to help out another member of our family. Lord, I pray that you encourage us as we leave today. I pray that you inspire us to go out, to love you, to love others, 
to make disciples, to have fun while we're doing it. To have the right reason in our heart. We're so privileged that we get to gather here today, Lord, because you have blessed us to live in this place where we have the freedom to worship you. So thank you for that. But remind us that even though it seems so whimsical, even though it seems so simple, it's everything on the line. Lord, I pray that you're just with all of us as we go out. I pray for Camelback. I pray for Glendale. I pray for Arizona. I pray that we can go out and impact as many people as we can, Lord, that everything that we're doing here is blessed by you. Because I believe that Camelback is a catalyst. And I believe that we're going to do amazing things through you and with each other. Lord, bless this team. Bless this squad. In your name we pray, amen.